Well, last week I started a series that I really felt God had put on my heart about two, three weeks ago. And I think it's a series that spiritually and prophetically is very relevant to where we are at here in the United States of America. I believe that we are much closer than most people realize towards the end. In fact, I used an illustration earlier this week talking with someone, and that is that if you were to go 10 miles upstream from a waterfall, uh, you could come down the river almost as if it were a lazy river. But as you get closer to the waterfall, the water starts to speed up. And personally, I feel in my spirit that we have come to a place in time and history where we are at that point in the river where the water is starting to speed up because we are very close to that waterfall. I'm talking on the spirit of offense. And last week my message was entitled, Offense, the Devil's Rat Trap. And uh, of course, if you were here, you saw that I had a rat trap and I explained that in the Greek, the word offense is literally, it is a thing, it is the bait arm, the trigger arm, and the bait arm of a trap, so that when an animal goes to take that bait, it triggers the trap, and that's called a scandalon. It's where we get the word scandalized from. It's the word commonly interpreted as the word offense. And the spirit of offense is the devil's rat trap. I made this comment at the beginning of my sermon last week. I said that the two most powerful weapons that the enemy uses in the church, not in the world necessarily, they, they are used in the world, but predominantly the two biggest weapons I have seen in over 40 years of pastoring uh, constantly taking place in the church, uh, the two greatest weapons of the enemy are these. A lack of understanding, chain of command, spiritual authority, God's chain of command. And if you don't understand God's chain of command, you will never enjoy the opportunity of living under God's divine order. I'm going to say that again. If you never understand God's chain of command, you will never enjoy the opportunity of living under God's divine order. What's more, what you don't know makes you susceptible to demonic disorder. And so many people have got confusion and conflict in their lives and their families. And what they don't realize is that there are certain basic spiritual principles that if you were grounded in the Word and you understood these principles, uh, you would never be the enemy's target and you wouldn't live under that cloud of demonic disorder. <clears throat> now they say that what you don't know won't hurt you. I want to tell you that in the spirit world, that is the biggest lie, that is the biggest load of rubbish that you will ever hear. In fact, I'll go as far as to say the devil is counting on it. 
He is counting on you believing that what you don't know won't hurt you. Because the truth is, what you don't know has the potential to destroy you. Your scriptural lack of knowledge is the devil's key to your personal defeat and his personal victory. I'm going to say that again. Your spiritual lack of knowledge is the devil's key to your personal defeat and his personal victory over you. The second weapon that I see the enemy using in the church is the spirit of offense. And I stressed last week that it is a spirit. And I want to stress that again today. It is a spirit. Whether the, the, the offense is given, people who are always giving offense, there's a wrong spirit working around their life. And out of the abundance of the heart, their mouth speaks. And the person who's always taking offense when offense isn't giving, there's a spirit around them. And uh, in the weeks to come, I'll be giving you some biblical examples to show you that this is not a matter of psychology. This is a matter of biblical precedence, and it's outlined in Scripture. They make up spiritual principles. Listen, there's something I want you to understand and you need to appreciate, and that is that for whatever reason, God saw fit from my youth, from my childhood, that I got exposed to a lot of demonic warfare. Having seen demons on numerous occasions, and from the age of 14 being gripped in such a revival in my father's church in Australia, and literally being involved in casting out demonic spirits out of young people in our services. At times we would take about uh, six to eight young men to just hold down one girl that needed deliverance. And so we saw these things many times. I come to you as not a professional preacher. I come to you as a man of God. I come to you as a man whose life has been built on fasting and on prayer. I come to you as a man who's not uh, regurgitated sermons, but has gone to the throne and listened to what the Spirit of God has had to say. And a lot of my preaching is far more prophetic than it is even inspirational. And I really feel that this series is, while it's a teaching series, and while I trust that I will inspire you to write action, I want to tell you from the get-go, right from the beginning of even today's sermon, this is very much a prophetic word from God. It is the word of the Lord to the church. Whether it's you, the church that is sitting in front of me, or you, the church, grace and faith that are watching via live stream at the moment, or whether it's you, the church of Jesus Christ, be it in Australia or in Africa, in England, in Europe, in Holland. Uh, people have been watching from all over the world. And uh, I believe that I have a word from the heart of God, from the throne of God. And it is a very timely word. It is a very pertinent word. And it is a very important word. In Proverbs 19, verse 11, 
It says, a person's wisdom will yield patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And that word glory in the Hebrew is tifara, tifara, and it means it's to one's beauty, to their braveness, their comeliness, their gloriousness, their honor, their majesty. In other words, the Word of God is saying that if you look beyond an offense, if rather than taking offense, if rather than holding that offense, you uh, um, look beyond the offense, you're a brave person, you're a beautiful person, you're a comely person, you're a person of honor and majesty because you have been you have chosen to be bigger than the issue in the person who is giving offense. <clears throat> As I was preparing this message, I was amazed I came across a scripture and I saw things in this scripture that quite honestly I've not seen like this before. And uh, while it is a scripture about Jesus, it is a prophetic word from the book of Isaiah, uh, and while Jesus is called the rock of offense, what you will see in this passage of Scripture is that you will see the anatomy of how an offense works. So bearing in mind that last week I preached the message, Offense, the Devil's Rat Trap, listen to these words from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 8, starting with verse uh, 14, it's speaking prophetically of the Messiah and it says, He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. As a trap, see the word? As a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken. They will be snared and taken. Now, first of all, there's nothing about Jesus in himself that is offensive. And yet the, the word of God, the spirit of prophecy says that he will be the rock of offense. And what the spirit of prophecy is talking about is the fact that Israel was not going to accept their Messiah. When Jesus was uh, on the, the, the little donkey and he was riding into Jerusalem, <clears throat> one moment the people are shouting and yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. But yet Jesus wept and he said, Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, if you only had to recognize this day of visitation from your God, okay? And he knew that he wasn't going to be accepted. And that was just seven days or so before his crucifixion. Israel was looking from a prideful place. Having been dominated by one world empire after another, they were looking forward to David's heir to reestablish that throne, the golden era of Israel. And they were looking forward to prophetic scriptures, but they had misplaced the timing. Scriptures that said that one day the whole earth 
would come to the mountain of the Lord and there they would learn of his ways and they would worship him. And so they were looking as a nation to be vindicated, as a people to be exalted, not only to be taken away from domination by other world empires, but to become the crowning glory of God and the nation that feeds all nations spiritually. And so they were looking for this stately uh, Messiah who would establish the, the reign of David and overthrow every other empire. But God came to establish a spiritual throne first, to overthrow the spiritual forces of darkness first. And surely, hey, listen, a time's coming where God will establish his throne physically on the earth, but right now he has established it on a spiritual level. And so he became, Jesus was the rock of offense, Paul picks up this phrase and uses it in the New Testament. And he talks about the cornerstone that the builders rejected and how Jesus is the rock of offense. But I want you to see something here. Because it's not the spirit of Christ that causes offense, but it's the spirit of darkness that will cause people to take offense at him. And I want you to see the anatomy of a spirit of offense right here in this prophetic scripture. The prophet says, he will be a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense to both houses of Israel as a trap, just like a rat trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many will stumble on that scandal on. And they will fall and be broken. They will be ensnared and they will be taken. I want you to take note of that verse, that word, taken. You see, the spirit of offense comes to take you. The nature of an offense is that It will bait you, and then it will bite you. Did you hear me? The the nature of an offense is that it will bait you. It'll rouse your emotions. It'll stir you up. It'll broadside you. It'll come out of left field. It'll bait you, and then it will bite you. I appreciate the fact that We've been live streaming for probably uh, 18 months now, long before COVID-19. God had put it on our hearts to take this year's step, and what a timely step it's been. But I want you to understand that I'm going to be making some points, and I look forward to the fact that now that we live stream, You can play this back and listen to it again. Write these things down. If the Holy Spirit is anointing me, and all you do is allow this to touch your ears but once, shame on you. If the Holy Spirit is anointing me, then bathe yourself in that anointing and listen to the Word of God again and again. Because as we move forward, I'm going to be sharing things, as I've said, that I believe God has burned in my belly for, to, for today, and they are relevant, and they are very serious, and they are very, very important. 
But on the note that I've just made, the nature of an offense is that it will bait you. It'll entice you. It'll, it'll try to pull you in. And when it does, it will bite you. The offense you take is the prison you will live your life from. I'm going to say that again. The offense you take is the prison you will live your life from. The spirit of forgiveness is the anti-venom to the bite of the spirit of offense. The spirit of forgiveness is the anti-venom to the bite of the spirit of offense. The issue you won't forgive will be the issue that will offend you. The issue that you won't forgive, that's the issue that'll be an offense to you. And the issue that offends you will be the issue that traps you and ultimately enslaves you. I'm going to say that again. And the issue that offends you will be the issue that traps you and it will enslave you. You see, I want you to understand that while this might be a prophetic message and there are points that God is about to make, it doesn't change the fact that I'm teaching and preaching principles that are relevant to every aspect of your life. And so while this message is very pertinent to what's happening in America, every day of your life you have to understand that these principles that I'm sharing about the spirit of offense, they are true regarding your mother-in-law, they are true regarding your father-in-law, they are true regarding your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your uncle and your aunt, they are true in relationship to your husband or to your wife, to your sons, your daughters, etc., etc., the spirit of offense is a spirit of entrapment. And it will bait you until it can bite you. And the offense that you cannot forgive or will not forgive is the very offense that will trap you and enslave you. The spirit of forgiveness is the anti-venom to the spirit of offense. Do you know that if you walk around in the spirit of forgiveness, it's impossible to be offended. Jesus said it's impossible for offenses not to come, but it is possible not to be offended. And if you walk and live in the spirit of forgiveness, you know what's interesting? In this sentence that I've written here, the spirit of forgiveness is the anti-venom to the spirit of offense. I see the spirit of forgiveness like the spirit of Christ. It's the spirit of gentleness. It's the spirit of meekness. It's the spirit of kindness. It's the spirit of, uh, of graciousness. And I see the lamb in the spirit of forgiveness. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of Heaven, came in the spirit of forgiveness to forgive us of our sins. And I see the spirit of offense like the cobra, like the snake that has venom and it looks to bite us. But the spirit of forgiveness is the anti-venom 
to the serpent's bite. You know, in the book of Genesis, right after the fall, God said to the serpent and to the woman, and he said to the serpent, your seed will bruise his heel, the seed of the woman's uh, descendants. It'll bruise their heel. And all over, throughout the generations, humanity has been bitten by demonic scenarios, situations, demon-inspired human angst. And the venom of those bites have created hurts and wounds in us that we have lived with for 60, 70, 80 years. And every generation tells exactly the same story. And God prophesied that the serpent's seed would bruise the heel of humanity, but that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And the spirit of forgiveness is the spirit of Christ. And the spirit of forgiveness is that anti-venom that uh, uh, breaks the power of the bite of that serpent, the spirit of offense. Amen. Can I get an agreement this morning? Come on. Somebody say, that's good preaching, Pastor Rob. <laughs> All right. Now, I want to continue. I want to share a couple of Bible stories here that I think are very, very relevant. And there's quite a bit of fascinating teaching in what I'm about to share with you. And then at the very end of this message, I'm going to make this uh, prophetically and politically relevant to where we are here in America right now. In John chapter 12... Six days before the Passover, we have a, a very beautiful story. It's interesting because this story is very similar to another story that takes place two days before the Passover. And so much so that at times people uh, mistake these two stories. But again, these two stories in themselves, they are prophetic uh, and I will show you how they are prophetic. And when you see this, it is absolutely stunning and beautiful. But let's look at John chapter 12, starting with verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover, six days before Jesus was going to be crucified, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now I'm going to stop there for a moment. This takes place six days before the Passover. In Hebrew tradition and in Hebrew law, every household would take a lamb from their flocks and bring it within their house six to five days before the Passover. 
And they would start to inspect it as that lamb lived with them in their house. They would start to inspect it to make sure that it was without blemish, without bruises, without any injury. And so they would take uh, oil, anointing oil, and they would anoint its legs and its feet and inspect it for any injury. And for six six days or so, they would... uh, well, five days before the Passover, they would be inspecting this lamb. And so prophetically, without anyone realizing, uh, this is what Mary was doing. She was being led by the Spirit. Now here are the disciples. They've heard John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And let me assure you, six days before Jesus went to the cross, he had told his disciples many times that he must die. But they never seemed to understand this. Now, in the midst of this, in verse 4, while this beautiful prophetic thing is taking place, Jesus, the Lamb of God, is being taken into the family And the lamb's legs are being anointed. His feet are being anointed with oil. And Jesus even said, hey, she's doing this in preparation for my burial. Verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was the keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What do we have here? What we have is a man who is, has covetousness in his heart. He is selfish. He is a thief. He has a love of money. Would be anything but a generous man. And he takes offense and he raises a spiritual argument. Now, Mary is being led by the Holy Ghost and she's anointing the Lamb of God Uh, Six days before the Passover and anointing the feet and the legs just as was custom. And here are the rest of the disciples. Nobody's got a clue. Judas was a thief all along and none of them, as Christian as they were, so to speak, as much as they were followers of Christ and cast devils out and did miracles in Jesus' name, not one of them had enough discernment that their brother had a lustful problem for money that wasn't his. To the point where on the eve of the crucifixion in the Last Supper, Jesus even says, one is going to betray me, and he hands Judas the purse. And it never dawned on the disciples that this Judas Iscariot, who wasn't going to be with them in the Garden of Gethsemane, had this serious character flaw, had a sin issue that he's never dealt with. No one ever picked it up, but Jesus knew all along. 
But what's interesting here is that in this story, six days before the Passover, Judas is offended. And he tries to distract the situation and point to the fact that more religious good could have been done if this money was used for the poor. Well, as we go forward four days, two days before the Passover, Matthew tells us a very similar story, yet significantly different and prophetically very purposeful. Okay? In Matthew chapter 26, verse 6 to 13, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, now he's in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper. A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which he poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. This is a completely different story, even though two separate women, one named and known, and the other one unnamed and unknown. Both of them took what was the equivalent of a year's worth of wages and anointed Jesus with it. And one anointed his feet six days before the crucifixion, and the other anointed his head two days before. Did you know that two days before the Passover, the family would finally choose the lamb that would be sacrificed and they would anoint its head to signify that it was perfect. It had no spot or blemish or injury whatsoever. And so again, prophetically, here's this woman. God is so much into types. He's so much into uh, 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 analogies and patterns of things to come. And here's this woman moved by the Holy Ghost to do something. She didn't even realize what she was doing, except that her heart was full of worship, just like Mary. But both of these women were serving a prophetic purpose in the hand of God. And they were anointing and preparing the Lamb of God who was about to take away the sins of the world. But I want you to see what happens here. Because the spirit of offense is the spirit of distraction. The spirit of offense is the strategy of distraction. I want you to see what happens. Let's watch. Verse 7, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which he poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Stop. Four days earlier, it was Judas the spirit of greed, the spirit of covetousness, the spirit of a lust of money was challenged by this woman Mary's generosity six days before the Passover. You see, oftentimes when we take offense, we take offense because there's an issue in us. If offense isn't given, Mary didn't give offense. No, she made a sacrifice to the Lamb of Heaven. And this woman made a sacrifice. She didn't give offense. She gave praise and honor to God. But when there is an issue in us, when there is a stronghold in us, 
we will react to the opposite spirit. And here, Mary, in her generosity, causes the spirit of, of thievery, the spirit of selfishness, the spirit of greed to react. Her generosity roused and stirred up the issue that was in Judas. But I want you to notice something. These disciples of Jesus who went around preaching the good news of the gospel prove to us how important it is for us to be discerning every day. Because four days later, now the Bible says that the disciples took offense. You see, one of the things that you need to understand about the spirit of offense, somebody in the church will come and complain to you, and you have to understand that if you don't deal with that according to a biblical pattern, you have opened yourself up to swallow the devil's bait. I'm telling you the truth. And this is why this is a strategy that I see the enemy use in the church over and over again. In fact, you know, you need to adopt a, a, a principle of when somebody wants to spew their garbage on you and talk about somebody else, before they even start, you have to say, unless you're willing to repeat that story to me in front of the person you're going to accuse, I don't want to hear it. Why? Because that will call them into accountability. And the spirit of offense never wants to agree to something that has the potential to bring peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be known as sons of God. What you don't realize, so many of you would never allow your neighbor to take his garbage bag, his big green garbage bag, and knock on your front door and walk into your living room and plop it in the middle of your living room floor. But spiritually, we allow the devil and his demons to do that all the time. You husbands, you need to monitor the kinds of conversations that are going on in your household. You need to be careful of the conversations that come out of your mouths. You moms, you need to be careful what you let you hear, your children hear you griping about or criticizing because so often we are taking the devil's garbage and we're dropping it in our children's living room. We're dropping it in our brother's living room. And the same way you would never allow your neighbor to do that, yet we allow demons to do it with us in the church all the time. Spiritual warfare. We go on and on about spiritual warfare, but sometimes the most practical principles of spiritual warfare we're absolutely blind to. And so here we are four days later, the disciples didn't discern that Mary, Lazarus' sister, was anointing the Lamb of God. Judas gets offended. Four days later, they pick up his song and they're singing the same tune. No discernment. No discernment whatsoever. On, uh, uh, on days before the greatest human event, the one event, just like the first Adam changed all of human history, the last Adam came to set us free and forever change human history. And days before the greatest spiritual event ever, the same disciples who cast out demons in Jesus' name and laid hands on the sick were not discerning enough to realize 
One person, one woman is moving prophetically in the Spirit of God and another person is moving pathetically in the spirit of offense. Hello? <laughs> Good preaching, Pastor Rob. <laughs> All right. So watch this here. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why, why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Here's this woman moved prophetically. She will be known by her actions. But wherever this story is told, the disciples are known for their deception. They picked up Judas's offense and they carried it. And so often in the church of Jesus Christ, we pick up somebody's offense and we allow their garbage to be dumped in the middle of our heart, in the middle of our emotions, in the middle of our thinking. We take offense for them. And then we go around, instead of being a garbage collector to take it to the dump, we become the garbage hoarder and we pass it around to all of our acquaintances. And I want you to understand so many Christians think that they're involved in spiritual warfare, but half the times they're really involved in demonic activity, and we need to repent from such behavior. We need to stop allowing the enemy to bring divisiveness into the body of Jesus Christ. Amen. Absolutely. And if we read the story, the same story in Mark, it says, chapter 14, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume made of pure nard, and she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly, some of those present. Now it's not even just the disciples. But some of those present, I want to tell you that the spirit of offense will run through the streets and it will attract a mob. A spirit of offense is over our nation right now. And while there may have been genuine injury and genuine reason for protest, the spirit of offense becomes a rebellion and a mob. It comes without order. It comes with disorder. It comes with anarchy. And we have to be careful because the nature of the spirit of offense is to gather a crowd. To gather a mob. And so we see the spirit of offense increasing. And yet, this is all in the midst of what is a beautiful, beautiful thing. God anoints Lazarus' sister to anoint Jesus' feet. She has no idea what she's doing other than it comes out of a heart of gratitude and worship. And, and yet, prophetically, she's preparing the Lamb of God. What an amazing testimony. And then several days after that, here's an unknown woman, but known forever in heaven. 
moving by the Spirit of God prophetically. And she anoints Jesus' head just like the lamb, the sacrificial lamb. After all the inspection, when it is declared perfect, they anoint the lamb's head to signify it is ready for sacrifice. It is a perfect sacrifice. And the church, Jesus' right arms and his men, his preachers, didn't have a clue of discernment. Hello? This preaches to us. It preaches to us. And sometimes we get caught up in the spirit of offense rather than getting caught up in the spirit of prophecy. Hello? Are you hearing me today, church? You say, well, okay, pastor, how is this really relevant to us today? Well, it's relevant to us today because we pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And we pledge allegiance to the republic for which it stands. We say one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. But do you understand that when you make that pledge of allegiance, sometimes you're cursing yourself because really what we should be doing is pledging our ultimate allegiance to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords and to the kingdom of God which is here now spiritually and is to come one day soon physically. We become so American that sometimes we're more American than we are Christian. And I'm going to make a statement and I believe what I'm about to say. If you want to live as an American, you will die as an American. But if you want to live as a son of God, you need to die to the son of the first Adam. We've got to die to the flesh. But sometimes we get so politically in tune, we get so politically roused up, we take this debate and we take that debate and we want to argue whether we should wear masks or we shouldn't wear masks, whether this is a hoax or it isn't a hoax, whether the Democrats will be the best party in government at this next election or whether it'll be the Republicans. Listen, as Americans, we're fascinated with politics and we're fascinated with end-time things. And everyone in the church, even non-Christians, know the term antichrist. But do you know what the antichrist is? We think of antichrist meaning one who is against Christ. But in the Greek, antichrist is one who takes the place of Christ. Paul says there are many antichrists in the world today. That's what he wrote in his letters, his epistles. He said there are many antichrists in the world right now. The spirit of antichrist. I'm going to tell you something. We as Americans are so allegiant to our constitution and our American status that we have allowed our government to become as an antichrist to us because we have put what our government in, uh, can do for us as a priority before what God can do for us. That's right. 
This pandemic hasn't brought the church of Jesus Christ to the cross. It hasn't brought us to our knees. It hasn't brought us to a place of unity. No, what's happened in the midst of this pandemic, we've taken sides. We've taken political arguments. We point fingers and we argue and we repeat what we hear on this news channel and that news channel. And from one offense, we've gone to another offense. And from peaceful protesting, we've got anarchy in the streets. We've got demonstration. We've got a revolution. We got fire. We got looting. And, we, and, and why? Because the church hasn't been spiritual. It's been political. And we've allowed the spirit of offense to distract us. And what concerns me most and what I feel in my spirit is that the same way the disciples were distracted days before the greatest spiritual event was about to take place, you and I can so easily be distracted by the politics of our country and miss out on what God wants to do spiritually. And don't tell me it doesn't happen because when Jesus rode on, his, on that donkey into Jerusalem and while it looked like everyone was cheering and Hosanna, Hosanna, seven days later they crucified him. And Jesus did not weep in vain. He wept and he said, if you only had to recognize the coming of your God. Do you know 37 years after his crucifixion, Israel, was utterly destroyed. The temple was destroyed and the people were scattered abroad the face of the earth. We are living in last days. And I believe that we, as Christians, need to put our Christianity first before our nationality. I wrote some things down here and I wrote this here. The church of Jesus Christ isn't white and it isn't black. It's not brown and it's not yellow. It isn't American and it isn't English. It isn't German or Italian or Korean or Russian or French or Chinese or any other nationality. The church of Jesus Christ doesn't have a nationality in, in earthly nations. The church of Jesus Christ has only one color, and that color is red, covered in the blood of our Redeemer. Come on, can I get an amen? There isn't a black person amongst us. There isn't a brown person amongst us. There isn't a white person amongst us. If you see color, then you're not seeing people covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I want you, when you look at me, I hope you don't see a white man. I hope you see a man who's covered in the blood, the red blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. There's only one nationality in the church of Jesus Christ, and that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Listen, again, like I said last week, you could take offense at what I'm preaching this Sunday, one day after July the 4th, where we celebrate the independence of this nation. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this sermon is falling on what we consider a very special day, holy day. You could take offense at my words today. Or you can catch the spirit of revelation. 
Because while I live in America, you know, we, we, we look at our country and in the midst of everything that's going wrong, we say things like, yeah, but we're still far better than other nations. And sometimes our pride gets in the way of our Christianity. And sometimes our pride gets in the way of what potentially could have been a revival. And I believe very deeply in my heart that the reason why we have a revolution in the streets is because we don't have a revival in the church. That's right. That's right. We have allowed other things to become our hope and our answer, like our government, instead of Jesus Christ becoming our hope. Instead of the church gathering together during this pandemic, we're fighting each other and we're talking about whether or not we should fight the, the, uh, uh, sue the government and take up our constitutional rights. Hey, listen, as a Christian, you don't have any constitutional rights in this country. As a Christian, you're called to take up your cross and to die. And we are taking offense. We are taking the bait. Instead of being united, we become divided. And I'm calling to every Christian around the world. I'm calling to every Christian in the United States of America. I'm calling to every Christian in Australia, in Italy, across Europe, in Asia, wherever you are. This is a time where the church of Jesus Christ needs to wake up and smell the perfume. Because the perfume is that God wants to release revival on the face of the earth. But if you and I have got our heads caught up in the politics of the world, we will not have our knees and our hearts bent at the feet of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that Mary and this woman, both of them were on their knees at the feet of Jesus and they were ministering to him and all the big shots were always reclining at the table, discussing and debating and speculating. And I'm concerned that as the church of Jesus Christ, and there isn't an American church and a Chinese church and an Italian church, there's only one church. The church of Jesus Christ has no nationality but the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And I really believe that we, as Americans, need to become primarily spirit-filled, born-again Christians. And I believe that instead of fighting each other and fighting politics and debating and clashing, we need to humble ourselves and come before God because God is the only answer. What we need is a revival of repentance. That's what we need. I preached it uh, about uh, 10 weeks ago. God put it on my heart and I preached repentance for about three weeks. Well, here I am. I'm going to say it again. What we need is a revival of repentance. What we need is a revival of fasting. What we need is a revival of prayer. Because when we have a revival of repentance and a revival of fasting and a revival of prayer, then we will see a revival of salvation and a revival of signs and wonders. Come on, church. We are right at the eve, just like the disciples. We're right at the eve of the greatest spiritual event. 
There's going to be a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But are we going to be so caught up in politics that we are not bending our knee at the altar and crying out to God and miss the opportunity just like the disciples did in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you know that forever their testimony is that they did not pray salvation through? You know what I pray? I pray that we will pray revival through. Come on, church. I want every black person in this church, while we have to do social distancing, to love every white person and embrace every white person and every white person embrace every black person and brown person and what any other color you want to attribute to somebody's skin. And if you want to take offense at that because I've used wrong terminology, then you decide whether or not you want to sit and eat at the devil's table. But I'm calling the church of Jesus Christ to unity. I'm calling the church of Jesus Christ to humble itself. I'm calling the church of Jesus Christ to forget that it's American. We get so proud about who we are. We need to humble ourselves and cry out to God and remember that we are first and foremost and to the end, we are sons of God. And if we want to live like sons of God, we have to die to the sons of Adam. Yeah. We don't live according to that sinful nature. We don't want to be part of that divisive spirit. We want to be part of that rallying call. What am I saying? I'm challenging you to be the Mary whose heart is so full of worship that while she had no idea that prophetically she was anointing the feet right on, on point, right on schedule, she was anointing the feet of the sacrificial lamb. And I'm calling you to, to be like this woman who's unnamed, unknown, and probably it was oblivious to her as well. But she was so in tune with the Spirit of God that prophetically she is anointing the head of the sacrificial lamb just as was written in the law of God. We could be carried away by the spirit of offense or we could be carried along by the spirit of prophecy. Offense is the strategy of distraction. But prophecy is the spirit that'll bring fulfillment of God's destiny. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Offense is the spirit of distraction. But prophecy is the spirit that will bring fulfillment to God's destiny for the church. I encourage everyone. I do. I encourage every one of you to hear the Spirit of the Lord in this message. Again, I'm not anti-American. But God forbid that we think that as Americans we can do no wrong. God forbid that we think that as the American church, everything about us is right. And while we could look at other nations and tout how we're so much better, I want you to understand that God smells the pollution from our nation like he smells the pollution from every nation. 
And if this is the America that we, the church, are presenting to our Father, it stinks. And for America to be different, the church of Jesus Christ has to be different. And I believe that in the midst of adversity, we're going to see revival. But I don't want to be like the disciples who slept through the birthing of the greatest spiritual event. I want to be like Mary and I want to be like this woman. That though I might be uh, (laughs) oblivious consciously to what I'm doing, yet I'm carried along by the Spirit of God doing the things that the Father would want done. Come on, church. Let's unite. Come on, church. Can Can we put our politics aside? I'm not telling you not to vote. Christians need to vote. But don't let that become the distraction because I don't care who's in the White House. What we need is Jesus in this house. Hello? Come on, we need Jesus in every house. And I urge every Christian around the world, this is a time for repenting. This is a time for fasting. This is a time for praying. This is a time to cry out. My goodness, this pandemic, a worldwide pandemic, has not brought the church of Jesus Christ to the altar of intercession. And if this hasn't, what will? There's rioting, there's looting. We're seeing devastation in our nation. But what we're not seeing is a cry from the pulpits calling uh, the church in this nation to come to a place of repentance. Hey, we need to cry out to God because we, we are the light of the world. We are the hope of the nations if we, Allow ourselves to be first and foremost sons of God rather than sons of Adam. I believe that God is getting ready to move. But I believe that too often the church is more like the five foolish virgins who didn't have enough oil to last the distance. And when the bridegroom came, Their oil jars were empty. I'm calling this church, if not every church, every Christian is the church. And I am calling Christians all over the world. This is a time when we need to humble ourselves before God. This is the time. Don't wait for your pastor to say, hey, let's have a church-wide seven days or a month of prayer and fasting. This is a time where each and every one of you, don't wait for me, don't wait for some preacher on TV to call a national day of prayer or a national month of prayer. Every one of us need to be hearing the Spirit of God, and every one of us need to be repenting that our nation is in such a mess. If this is the greatest nation on the earth, then what a shambles. This can be the greatest nation. But that's not what's important to me. Will we be the greatest church that we can be? And by church, I mean every individual who is born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, and hopefully filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on, church. This is a day for revival. 
Where sin abounds, God's grace will abound so much more. Hear me. Understand, I mentioned this principle a couple of weeks ago, and I'm about to close. You see all the sin that's abounding? You see all the nonsense? See all the craziness? If we do what is right, be encouraged, because the signs are that while the world is in havoc, in disharmony, while it's in confusion, while it's in turmoil, where sin abounds, the grace of God will abound even more. The last time our country was in this place was in the 60s. We were unhappy about the Vietnam War. People were demonstrating. Young people were rioting. Drugs were taking off with a vengeance. They were celebrating sex and rock and roll. And this nation was falling apart. But the history of that time... <clears throat> tells us after the fact, in hindsight, that little old women in the church started to pray. And in the midst of sin abounding, because some started to bend their knees and cry out to God, a revival started in this country. And it was called the Jesus Movement. And out of that Jesus movement came the next generation of great preachers. Church, let's recognize the season. Let's recognize the climate. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you can tell if it's going to rain tomorrow or not by looking at the moon. And yet spiritually you don't recognize the climate. You don't recognize the seasons. Let's be discerning in the Holy Ghost. Don't let the spirit of offense become the strategy of distraction. But let's listen to the prophetic voice and the spirit of God. And let's follow in unity the call to repentance, the call to fasting, and the call to prayer. Because we are on the brink of revival. Come on church, let's go for it. Let's rise up as one man. Let's love on each other. Let's be as one man before the Lord, not asleep in the garden of Gethsemane, but awake and on our knees, bowing before heaven, crying out, and then taking our stand on the edge of the universe in heavenly places with Christ Jesus as we usher in a great move of the Holy Spirit. But before revival comes repentance, fasting, and prayer. I trust today that you will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and that everything inside of you will say yes and amen as we abandon the spirit of offense and take hold of the spirit of prophecy. God bless you, church. I call every husband, every wife, every man, every woman, every young person. I call every one of you to be the church of Jesus Christ. Not the political voice of this nation, but the intercessory voice of God's heart. God bless you. I look forward to being with you physically next Sunday. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would just come up and uh,
just close out with one last song. Those of you who need to leave, God bless you. Have an awesome week, and uh, we'll be praying for you. And those of you who want to just stay and worship, uh, we give you that freedom and that liberty to do so. God bless you, every one of you. Amen.